everyone, and welcome to Cinema Joes, the podcast where three average Joes discuss the significant topics in movie culture. My name is Justin, and uh, today I'm joined by Noah. Hey, Noah. Hey, Justin. And uh, actually, that's going to be it for us on this episode anyway, which I know probably comes as a shock. I think this is the first time we're... Uh, Alex has not been on the show with us, but don't worry, he shall return. So it's just going to be two Joes discussing the significant topics in movie culture today. A double shot of Joe. (laughs) Very much so. For our new listeners, this is the podcast where we talk about a recent movie release and then a broader topic related to that movie release, at least most of the time. Uh, Sometimes we have a lot to say about that recent movie release. But uh, today we're going to be talking about First Man, which is the newest film from Oscar-winning director Damien Chazelle. And we'll also be tackling the uh, very pertinent question to our times, is Ryan Gosling a good actor? Or have we been projecting this entire time? (laughs) That answer remains to be seen, at least uh, for the <laughs> at least in the uh, near future. We will be getting mm. to that question later on down the line, but uh, we're going to start the way we always do by talking about what we've been watching. So uh, Noah, let's let's start with you. What have you been watching lately? Well, I want to highlight one of the movies that I've seen recently. I've talked a, a number of times on our show about Nippon, the Japanese film festival in Frankfurt that I work at and get to see a lot of movies at each year. But there's another nearby film festival in Weiderstadt, the city that I work in, that is a, a queer film festival where they show LGBTQ-related movies from literally around the entire world. Every continent, every culture, every language imaginable. Uh, and they show them all in the original language uh, with subtitles. So in every year, there are one or two films that I get to see there that are really, really interesting and that I otherwise would not never have had the chance to see. Last week, my wife and I saw a Belgian movie called Girl, which is about a, a trans girl who's a teenager in school and trying to become a dancer. And as we learned right in the beginning, she's already in the process of undergoing her medical transition to physically become a woman she's already certain there's no doubts there's no crisis of is this really who i am like she already knows who she is her family is totally behind her she has a great team of medical professionals who really care about her and who know what they're doing so it looks like everything's fine but she's still a teenager in high school which is just a shitty terrible time for everyone (laughs) uh, especially if you were of a non-typical gender or sexual identity that may, all the usual teenage uh, bullcrap and drama is compounded by that. And so the movie is about her struggling with that and struggling with the fact that, you know, she knows she's a woman, so she wants to do the transition now, but that's, that's medically impossible. Like, she has to go through a very set process of uh, medications and hormones and drugs, and then at a later point she could actually do, like, the surgeries but her impatience grows with this as her struggles in school grow and that tension is well it's it's a very intense movie i don't want to spoil anything about how it plays out except to say that this was the first movie in years that i've seen where i i felt compelled to literally look away and hide the screen from my view Hmm. for uh, an extended few seconds because what was happening on screen was just beyond my 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 constitution's ability to handle Mm. very 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 few movies have ever brought that reaction forth in me like okay i literally no i can't watch this i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in the way that the film was incredibly effective at presenting this real life dilemma in a very understandable uh, and i think a very realistic way without any over dramatization or exaggeration or anything like that it's just it's presenting the normal struggles of someone in this situation but that is something that is profoundly difficult and painful for people who go through it and it makes you feel that discomfort and that pain at a very visceral level right uh and it's it's brutally effective in that sense so it's it's really a remarkable film and one that is hard to watch but i absolutely think is a must watch for everyone when it's available. I mean, I have absolutely no idea if and when the film will be available internationally, but I, I absolutely recommend it. So this is my official shout out. And you, you said this was a Belgian film? Yep. Okay. Girl by director Lucas Daunt, or Daunt. I'm not entirely sure what the Belgian pronunciation for that is, uh, who directed it and co-wrote the screenplay. Okay. And Victor Polster is the young actor. Wow. 
Yeah, I'm curious. Does it present that, those moments like in real time? But not in real time. It's not like oh, okay. it's not like a it's not like a mockumentary. Its its structure and its style is that of a typical you know slice of life movie. But it's just the way the characters talk, the way they talk to each other, okay. uh, the way things are phrased, the 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 types of of circumstances and problems that arise, all feel and sound like things people say, ways people behave. Uh, they feel like authentic situations that would arise naturally and not, okay, I'm here, like the director clearly orchestrated all these moving parts. So that's what I mean by realistic in that sense. Uh, none of it feels, none of the drama, none of the problems feel orchestrated or um, thrown in just for the sake of plot. Yeah, wow. That's, uh, it sounds like uh, quite a visceral experience. It is. <laughs> I literally can't get it out of my mind. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, I feel like I may have heard of that movie, but I didn't really know anything about it. So I hope that word spreads and it gets an international release. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, a very different movie, I think, from that, though certainly a visceral one as well, <laughs> but uh, a little bit older. It's a film called Diabolique. Actually, the French title is Le Diabolique which translates to either The Devils or The Fiends. Mm. This is a film from 1955 uh, from director H.G. Clouseau. It's the kind of story that you would expect Hitchcock to make a movie about. And in fact, he tried to. But H.G. Oh, wow. uh, Clouseau beat him to the punch, um, got the rights to the book that this is based upon. And uh, interesting tidbit, the authors who wrote uh, the book that Dabalik is based upon also wrote the book that the movie Vertigo is based upon. Oh wow, that's yeah, so, cool. Uh, <laughs> that is top. That is top level film history trivia right there. Yes, but the the film Diabolique is about these two women, and specifically the man in their lives who is the headmaster of this very kind of run down boarding school, or at least second rate boarding school. So these two women, one is this man's wife, the other is his mistress. Well, one of them owns the school. The wife owns the school. Uh, the uh, the mistress is one of the teachers at the school. But they actually hatch a plan to kill uh, the headmaster. And uh, for well, the two women do yes, the two women do, and mm. for reasons that I mean, he is very abusive. Um, he's cruel to the children. He's all these things. But I feel like more broadly speaking. It's almost yet the sense that like they think the world would just kind of be a better place without this guy around. Mm -hmm. Like they don't see there being like a huge loss if he were gone. So that's the premise of the movie. These two women plotting to kill this man. Where it goes from there, though, there are tons of twists and turns to come. Some of which I didn't see coming at all and really was kind of gobsmacked by the ending of this film in a way I really haven't been in a while. Mm -hmm. But what I what I love about it is that it does feel in its way kind of like a Hitchcock thriller, but I'd say Cluzo gives Hitchcock a run for his money with this movie. Really? I don't know if Hitchcock mm. could have made a better movie out of this uh, story, honestly. Mm. The the tension is palpable at pretty much at, at all times. The like last 15 minutes or so of this movie is probably the most on edge I've been in a movie this old. <laughs> like, I was not prepared. What, what year did you say it was from? Uh, this is from 1955. I think psychological thrills, at least great psychological thrills, which I think this is one, do so well as they're able to make it more than just about thrills that come with that genre. Um, they really do show kind of how the mind works in extreme circumstances, mm -hmm. especially with the character uh, played by Vera Clouseau, who plays the wife of the headmaster, you see that there are all these gray areas when it comes to her morality and whether she thinks this person deserves to die. And I think the film really plays those out and shows how there is a decision that needs to be made. And once you make it, you, there's no going back. But in the meantime, there are all these kind of like moments of uncertainty. So I think she's very excellently played. I think Simone Signoret, who is a famous French actress, uh, playing the mistress is excellent here as well, especially don't want to give too much away, but we learn more about her as the film progresses, which really I think uh -huh. emphasizes how good her performance is the whole time. And like the last 15 minutes, I just want to stress are so harrowing. It basically becomes a horror movie all of a sudden when the rest mm -hmm. of the film has just kind of been a, a, a thriller 
and the things he does with shadow in that, the way a door will slowly creak open or slowly close, the way that the shadows around these images, around these figures, threatens to envelop them at any moment, um, which I think has a lot of thematic resonance for what the film is trying to do. It's just all very yeah. impressive. I think this is a masterpiece, and I'm so glad I got to see it. I had certainly heard a lot about nice. it uh, before, but to see it for myself and for it to hold up after all these years is just very impressive, and I would recommend any fan of film to see it. Nice. We, we need to find ways to talk more about older films, because there are so many gems out there that people overlook just because, oh, it's old. Yeah. Therefore, it can't be good. It can't be interesting. And to give a shout-out to our missing co-host, I'm glad that he was able to bring up like the older versions of A Star is Born, because mm-hmm. I know he spoke especially highly of uh, the 1954 version with Judy Garland, directed by George Cukor. But he's also uh, extolled 2001, which is a film I think the three of us love now, which has been really nice. But yeah, we've we've talked about some old movies on this podcast, but it would be fun to do like a review of one, mm-hmm. I think. But uh, we'll yeah. we'll hold that for the future for now. It's an idea. Yeah, absolutely. get into uh first man let's just jump right in Um, all right this of course being the story of i guess it's a biopic in its way though it's not structured the way one typically is at least not what we think of i actually think not to go off on a tangent for a second but i think we've been getting a lot of strong biopics that have eschewed the traditional model Mm -hmm. films like the end of the tour for example from a few years ago come to mind Mm -hmm. i mean even something like black klansman from this year I mean, Mm -hmm. they're just, if you just like take a real life story, but really delve into it and really not just talk about what happened, but the impressions of what happened, I think you can really come up with something strong. And yeah, so First Man is about Neil Armstrong, uh, first man to walk on the moon, of course. So it it pretty much tracks him from his days as a test pilot, uh, testing the, I think the X-15 experimental plane, and then moving into the Gemini Project where the goal was to get to a point where they could actually do a moon mission, but they had to do a lot <laughs> first in yeah. order to get there. Yeah. And then the Apollo mission, and specifically Apollo 11, and also about his home life in the meantime. So it does cover a lot of ground. So I guess the mm-hmm. first thing, I, I guess I just wanted to get your general opinion, especially having seen his uh, this director, Damien Giselle, his last two films. I, uh, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I liked it more than La La Land. <laughs> I thought it was a much more worthy... I did, um, I did as well. Not that I hated La La Land. It had its moments, but it was not it, it was not the, the cinema-redefining masterpiece it was made out to be. For starters, First Man is telling a very, very important story. And I think at a very important time, people are not really talking about space exploration much anymore. We're not talking much about moon missions or about uh, the possibility of a future mission to Mars or anything like that. So... I, I think that it's good to sort of delve back into the well. What this film overwhelmingly did for me more than anything else was just remind me how staggeringly complicated and complex and dangerous all of us, well, really any effort to leave our planet and go out into space where no life is meant to exist is. But also, especially at the time when we were making those first steps into outer space, just how much was pure theory and conjecture. And then just saying, you know, we had no hard example. It was just, well, okay, according to the math, we have to do it this way, and that means we'll survive. But we didn't know until someone actually did it and came back alive. Oh, you mean the way science works. Of, yeah. You have to actually test it. You can't just hypothesize. <laughs> but it was, but it's, it is another level to commit to saying, okay, so there's the biosphere where we exist and where we're meant to exist. We're designed to, you know, live with water and land and air. Uh, let's go to a place where none of that exists, and it, where if a single thing goes wrong, arguably one of the most horrible types of death imaginable. It's really remarkable, and it's astounding. Just being reminded of that made me very, very grateful for the film. Mm, yeah. And on a technical level, not too dissimilar from Dunkirk last year, 
I thought the flight sequences were incredibly effective at making me feel like I could almost feel myself vibrating <laughs> with the astronauts when they're whether they're in planes, in test drones, or when they're actually in space. It's easily among the more effective films I've seen in terms of really giving me a sense of the physical sensation of flying at those speeds. Yeah, and not in a way that's comfortable. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is not comfortable at all. Yeah, I wanted to, like what you said about it's like nice to have a film about space exploration again. I think that's I think that's well said. I was I couldn't help but think of the right stuff watching this movie. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not. Um, I would highly recommend that to anyone. Um, that's more about the Mercury Project, so that would predate mm. the events of this film, I believe. That film is so good at just taking the romanticism out of the space program in a way that feels honest and feels true while also being very funny. I do think its approach is different from Chazelle's, which I think is also kind of de-romanticizing this, this period in history in a way I find very admirable. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm in agreement that I really enjoyed this movie. Again, this is a theme. Enjoyed this movie more than I expected to. <laughs> Honestly, I have to think if it's my favorite uh, movie from Chazelle that I've seen, I will say okay. I think it's undeniably his most emotionally satisfying movie so far. And that was to really have that as a through line for this movie, I think really it, that's a very specific choice. It's an interesting one. It's not one you expect um, especially when it comes to someone like Neil Armstrong, who really has become more of a symbol than a human being with his status as the first man to walk on the moon. I mean, he's, he's an American hero. He's one of the pivotal figures of American history, but he was also a human being. And yeah. to really show this raw and this woundedness that haunts mm -hmm. his I mean, the specter of death is looming over this entire film. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's the first thing you think of when you think of a successful voyage to the moon. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you look back in retrospect, but at the time, it really does, it really does loom over everything. And I think, yeah. and, and that's, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. What role do you think grief plays in this film and maybe for Armstrong himself? I would be very interested to actually go into doing some more research into Neil Armstrong himself, because I don't know how accurate it is that grief and his complicated feelings regarding the fact that he lost a child played into his attitude or mindset or how he approached his work so or or if that was something that damien chazelle said okay here's something i can use as an emotional byline to sort of you know weave throughout the narrative so i don't know to what extent that is accurate but i think that it is ever present the more we try to reach for the next goal or the next step there is always a sense of risk and of what we lose in the process of that or just of what we lose through life in general you know the fact that some sometimes a kid just gets cancer and there's no help for it the kid gets cancer and the kid ends up dying and there's no rhyme or reason for it but despite that that never overwhelms us enough for all of us to say okay we're going to stop looking we're going to stop trying we're going to stop exploring because the the pain is too great we we keep going and i think it's an individual case whether or not grief enhances that or makes that more difficult or is a driving force for that i think it's something that is I don't think the film tries to definitively make one st a statement one way or another on that, hmm. uh, but it is present throughout the movie. Yeah, I would say just how the film captures so clearly the physical details of of loss, hmm. you know, especially with his daughter. Those early scenes. I mean, I can still like this the the one shot of him helping his daughter after she's vomited. I I believe. Hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the implication is that she's been going through uh, radiation. Yeah, radiation treatment. So probably yeah. A side effect. And then the specificity of of the images, especially the one that actually recurs of him running his fingers through not just not her hair, but mm -hmm. like through like a strands of her hair. And it's like this moment, this this moment to to capture and hopefully keep with him, um, mm -hmm. because I think they're aware, both he and his wife, that things don't look good. And actually. There's a smash cut, I think, from him cradling her hair to the funeral. We may even hear the lowering of the casket first, um, if I'm mm. recalling correctly. That alone is enough mm. to just make you go, 
<laughs> and um, I think that also that that captures the fact that you know when you lose someone, child, parent, friend, sibling, whatever, it's often when you think back on that person, it's very very small mundane details that often end up being most prominent in your memory. This is sort of a quirk of human memory that oftentimes will end up remembering something totally inane and like every day and not really like oh I, I'm. I clearly remember that one time I stroked my daughter's hair, mm -hmm. but it's true. Like that's, that's what our memory will do. And it's only until after the fact that we sort of realize that like, wow, the things I remember most clearly are kind of banal and not were at the time were not particularly significant. And I think that that very succinctly captures that fact uh, without commenting on it, without, without Neil Armstrong saying anything about it. Yeah. It's all, it's visual storytelling. Um, yeah. and especially the idea that like someone can be there and then not be there. Like there's a shock to that, yeah. that I think the movie really captures very well. Um, not just mm -hmm. with his daughter, but I think also with the other astronauts in the program, he loses a lot of friends throughout this, which is why I, mm -hmm. you know, like death is just constantly haunting these characters. Um, yeah. but I, and I think it's really interesting. I think the film, there's a kind of tension in this quest to, go to the moon to do something great that to me it seems almost like and i i think the film bears this out with the thing that armstrong at least in this movie leaves behind on the moon um mm -hmm. it's it's a tribute to these people to show that you know mm -hmm. especially with his at the with the astronauts that their deaths were not in vain and yet it's also in a way an escape from the grief mm -hmm that haunts him. I think that's a really interesting yeah. tension in that he's doing it with a purpose. He's not just doing it to escape, but maybe he is a little bit. And he's a generally repressed person in this movie. Um, Armstrong mm. in real life was famously kind of, uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say stoic, but I would say he didn't betray a lot, at least in, in interviews mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, and I think the film very effectively captures the contrast between him and Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I was wondering how accurate the portrayal of Buzz Aldrin is. I I mean, yeah, I guess I wasn't as concerned with accuracy as much as capturing almost like an essence of these people. I mean, to me, yeah. maybe it's because I, I do not look at fiction films, even if they're based on real life, and say, okay, this is how this actually happened. I try to experience it as its own thing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I do think there's a responsibility that comes with portraying a, a real life in a fictional manner. Yeah. Because you are going to inform people's attitudes toward those people, whether you like it or not. But I enjoyed that contrast between them. I think the film really drew that mm -hmm. very nicely. And at the same time, I don't think it portrays Aldrin as a jerk. He's just someone who's very blunt. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe he can be a jerk sometimes. But he's he's more complicated than just that, I guess, is my yeah. point. Yeah. And I mean, so like half the time when he says something, he doesn't even seem aware that he's like said something offensive. Like it's just mm. like obvious to him. I think he even states that outright at one point when he uh Yeah. <laughs> I guess inadvertently uh insults the memory of the pilot who died. Yeah. Yeah, you should have been more aggressive with that approach. What I'm just saying the thing, you know, yeah, it's true. Saying what everyone's thinking. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about how the death of his daughter, especially, when you lose someone that young, I mean, in general, when you lose someone, you're not just losing who they were, you're losing everything they could be or could have been in your mind. Mm -hmm. And that's another kind like that's another that just adds on to the loss that you experience. And especially with yeah. a young child, you're losing an entire life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, I kept thinking about that and, and wondering, like, how is that affecting him? Because that's, that's another level, right? Not just losing mm -hmm. the person that they were, but everything they could have been. And it is different than, you know, it is different than the other pilots where there is a level of, you know, they signed up for it. They were aware of the risks, but decided to take it anyway. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it less tragic. Um, but there is, you, you could argue there is a difference between someone dying in a situation where they knew it was possible, but it was important enough for them anyway that they chose it, and random illness hits a kid who is not even old enough to understand. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, it's it's like, it's, it's different kinds of tragic and different kinds of grief yes. that accompany that. Yeah. 
and and a lot of this is not stated outright. You kind of have to read it in Gosling's performance, which I wonder mm. if maybe we can get more into that when we talk about Gosling as an actor in general. Just because yeah, I mean, so I want to I want to hold on Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of in terms of the casting, I do want to give a shout out um, to Claire Foy. Oh, we should give her more Mrs. than a shout Armstrong. out. <laughs> yeah. No, for for me, for for me, hers is the best performance in the movie. And I like the fact that she's not relegated to the background. She's not just, you know, or doesn't just pass out, uh, you know, in and out of shots. She plays an essential role in grounding Armstrong, you know, pun intended, (laughs) by sort of reminding him that, you know, there's no, I, I like the fact that there's no drama around, like, you know, she, he has to convince her why this is important or like, you know, she goes through a period of, you know, questioning the space rover or anything like that. Like, there's no drama in that regard. Like, she's totally on board with, you know, the mission and what he's he's setting out to do. But she does, she just does point out to him, okay, well, you're going to go to the moon, fine. But you got to talk to the boys. You have to give them that moment, that possibly last moment with their dad. And that's on you, not on me. I'm not going to, yeah. you know pick up your shit i mean it's and it's the role that she feels like she's sort of been relegated to for a lot of the movie and and i i think that's that's a credit to um that character who i think is patient like has this this almost superhuman patience with people in general and with her husband up to a point (laughs) Mm -hmm. then at that point like that's like her ultimatum and she is going to get what she wants. <laughs> she's going yeah. to get, and but but she really she's such an empathetic character, and she has this tremendous, I would say, emotional awareness, which is a really nice balance for someone like Armstrong, who I think has that capability. I mean, in this movie, not the character in this movie, anyway, um, who has that capability, but for other reasons, might not show it outwardly yeah and with uh claire foy plays janet armstrong what she's able to do but what she's able to do with that awareness and i think the the cinematography helps her out because there are a lot of close-ups there's a way in which i feel like the film wants to capture these moments wants to capture like all the details all the fine lines the wrinkles of these characters to Mm -hmm. maintain them for for the future, yeah. which is in keeping with the themes of the movie, I guess. But you really get to see the extent of her performance, and and I just think this tremendous heart that she has, that she she knows who her husband is, she knows that he needs to grieve in his own way, and then he needs to have time to himself, but she also needs to lay the law down to look out for other people. Really, so much of what she's doing is on behalf of other people. Um, which I just think shows such an emotional awareness of everyone, not just her family, but yeah. of her neighbors as well. I mean, there's a great scene she has with the I widow. like the fact that she has a moment with the widow of one of the pilots who's been lost. Yes, with um, the widow of um, Ed White. Yep. It'd be, it'd be all too easy to um, sweep that under the rug or say, oh, no, we can cut that scene. We don't need it. But I think it, it, it more firmly establishes who she is. And that makes her, that makes the moments that she's given in the script all the more powerful. I mean, she needs to get emotional. She does it. She does it brilliantly. Mm. I mean, between <laughs> this movie and another movie from this year, Unsane, Claire Foy is someone I'm like, I should, like, I guess this is what all those people who've been watching The Crown have been talking about. And I just haven't <laughs> because I don't watch The Crown. But I can't, <laughs> I mean, if I'm being honest here, I can't wait to see what she does next she is the really the actor and i, I agree that i think she's pro- she is my favorite performance in this as well um, you know there, there's already like from the get-go there's been a lot of buzz about ryan gosling being in the best actor discussion for this year which we'll get to that honestly i'll be a lot more upset if claire foy does not get a nomination for best supporting actress like that for me would be more upsetting than ryan gosling getting snubbed for for best actor yeah but I think she has a very solid shot because that's exactly the type of performance that often is a favorite of Academy voters when it comes to supporting, especially the supporting actor roles. Yeah. That sort of person who is the emotional strength behind the main character. Whether or not that's a smart way to view, to like, to treat that sort of role is a debate for another day. But I mean, I, and I would say, like, I, th- I think the movie could have used even more of her. 
I would not have objected to that. You know, I would agree. I think that might be my biggest criticism of this film is I do feel like a lot of the supporting characters, I just needed like a little more from all of them. And it's no disservice to the actors. So I think do a lot with, but I just think they need more space. I just think they needed mm. more room to breathe a little bit. And we do have some good scenes. I really enjoyed like the first dinner scene with all the astronauts because mm. you could really sense the kind of awkwardness that like, they're kind of here because they're all in the same program, not because they know each other, but they're kind of acting like they are. I think that's very well observed. Yeah. And I do think there's some really nice, I think uh, Jason Clark as Ed White has some really good moments. I like that. He's this just like, <laughs> he's just this like bulldog of a man. And yet he's like, <laughs> I would say one of the more sensitive members. Like he's, he's the guy who's going to reach out to Neil first. Usually, you know, he's the one to ask, Hey, do you want to go for a beer? Or, you know, the one to confront him after he leaves their, their party unexpectedly. And I just think those, so there are some really nice little moments that these characters have. Mm. Speaking of possible criticisms of the movie, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Something that I talked about, as I, I saw this movie uh, last night with my brother. And something that we talked about afterwards was the fact that we have, there is some discussion about, okay, is it worth it? Why are we doing this? What's, what's the purpose behind it? And is it worth the immense cost mm. in both money and lives uh, to do something that on the surface has no immediate practical benefit for you know, the human race? And we get, uh, we, we get clip of, clips from a, a JFK speech. Um, tackling this issue so we have one there's one sequence in particular that touches on the racial aspect of this and something that i would that i would like to throw in here what whether regardless of what you think of the film first man i think that this film should always be paired with a viewing of hidden figures which is sort of the flip side of the story about um telling the story of a lot of the women especially black women who did a lot of the essential work that allowed neil armstrong and buzz aldrin to get to the moon, land, get back up, and come back and stay alive. Um, and that's not directly addressed in the movie. But th this sequence sort of struck me as, okay, it's setting up this debate. Like, okay, with economic injustice, with racial injustice, with global politics, and the, the many, many fears and threats of the Cold War, what justification can be provided for spending money on a trip to the moon as opposed to other things. Mm. Now, me personally, I come from the standpoint of both are absolutely essential and we can and should do both. We absolutely should do space exploration and continue to push the boundaries of uh, what we can do and experience. And at the same time, we should have social programs in place that take care of uh, the needy of the impoverished and of the marginalized. So that's that's like my personal... So, so in my mind, personally, I'm sitting there thinking... Well, of course, no argument. Like, of course, we we needed to go to the moon eventually. We need we need to make these these leaps. But that is that is a worthwhile debate to have, mm. uh, and I think that is that is a very essential debate to ha to have. I felt that the film sets the debate up, but then, and I think the sequence, like with like a spoken word poetry slam going on uh, at a protest against the space program, I thought that was really really effective in terms of conveying an overall sense of what the debate could be but the movie then doesn't go anywhere or doesn't directly address it my brother was of the opinion that that was more a strength of the movie that the movie sets up this ambiguity about is it really worth it but then sort of lets the viewer decide i'm not 100 percent certain yet if i agree i'm still sort of going back and forth in my mind um i was wondering if you had any thoughts about that you know i i suppose i'm inclined to agree with that and that I do, I do think there isn't, I do think the film is trying to set up those things to not decide for us, at least. I will say also, though, because of the very personal nature of the movie, I like that we had those kinds of moments for texture to show that these were all things that were informing um, decisions that were being made, even as they mm. were being made very decisively and, you know, unequivocally to me it'd be strange if the film delved really deep into that because this is a story about neil mm. armstrong specifically at the same time i think it's an interesting thing i like that the film brings it up um mm -hmm. i like it sort of like looming in the background of of all of this and it's really it's like an entire montage um like it does get 
you know, it kind of gets center stage. It doesn't feel like other things are going on as it's happening. But it's just all informing this one moment. It's like a good four or five minute segment of the movie. It's not like a TV clip in the background or anything yeah. like that. I mean, I would say the film sets up the question of whether this is a good thing for Neil Armstrong to do. Just, just mm-hmm. like one man, like whether this is him, which is whether this is an unhealthy thing in that he's mm-hmm. possibly going to leave his family behind or whether that's a good decision like having that risk or whether it's worth it to go and for what reason. It was so appropriate that one of the trailers we got at my screening was of uh, the upcoming film Rocket Man about Elton really? John. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very have, tangentially connected. Uh, I have thoughts but... about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's another episode, Justin. <laughs> I feel like, in a sense, it is important having a movie that focuses on the fact that, okay, Neil Armstrong was also a person, too, trying to do the best that he could within the world that he was a part of. Um, and I think it would be dishonest to try to do a film focused on Neil Armstrong, but then somehow try to make Neil Armstrong responsible, in air quotes, yeah. or responsible in the context of the film, of providing a refutation of arguments uh, that could be made against the space program uh, as a whole. And I think there are plenty of arguments that you could make against the space program. I myself would not agree with any of them, but it's absolutely something that is, that is, that is worth debating. And that, that's sort of why I think this movie would make an excellent pairing with hidden figures. And that was the, that was before Apollo, I think. That's true. That's a good point. But there, but there again too, you know, John Glenn, that's another, person who's become iconic but like neil armstrong he was also a person with his own unique views on things mm-hmm. i think it is important to have both those views like it's important to understand the perspective of john glenn and neil armstrong and it's important to have a movie like hidden figures that goes into you know some of the marginalized people who also made their missions possible and successful yeah. uh, i i don't think i i don't think you could capture all of those possible sides and views in a single movie so me personally, I feel like I'm fine having a movie about Neil Armstrong, a movie about John Glenn, you know, hidden figures, and then maybe a couple of other movies mm-hmm. uh, with perspectives that I'm not thinking of right now. But I think that is something that could be critical for a lot of people when they see this movie. I, I could see a lot of people walking away from the movie saying, okay, it sets up the question, but then goes nowhere and sort of cops out. I'm I'm glad the movie at least takes the time to let us think about it, though. I do think that's very if if the movie had not said a word about any of that, yeah. that I think would be much right. more troubling. Yeah. yeah, thank you for bringing that up because that's that's something I hadn't honestly thought a ton about, but that's uh, that's a good question. <laughs> really quick, I wanted to ask what you thought of like just in general the sound design in this movie, especially because Giselle is someone who's worked so much with music in his film career up to this point. I mean, this is his first film that isn't explicitly about music which I think is really interesting. But I was curious what you thought of the sound design in this movie. Very effective. I think that was a big part of what made the flight sequences so visceral. Yeah. Uh, and that that adds to, it added to the, the, the sense of, oh my God, I'm in the cockpit with <laughs> Neil Armstrong about to pass out. Holy shit. Especially the fact that most of the moon sequence itself was filmed in complete silence. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of sound design that people that people underestimate. I think one of the fine arts of it is not just what types of sound you use and how loudly or how quietly, but when are the moments when you need to cut the sound? Yeah. And that's something that that's a much tougher skill to master than I think most people. Yeah. Well, I think even a lot of people who, who do make movies and who do work in film do not quite have that skill down because it's also an artistic decision. Like the director also needs to say, okay, I want silence here. And then, you know, they fiddle with, you know, okay, when's the right moment to cut the sound out? I think I, I agree with you. I, I, I was really struck by certainly like the rattling. I mean, there's one line, there's a line of dialogue from, uh, from Janet Armstrong. You're just a bunch of boys making models out of balsa wood. And you really hear that (laughs) in this movie. There's not a single point where you don't think like this thing could like collapse at any moment. Oh yeah. Um yeah. so that's really cool. I also really loved how some of the sounds of these uh spacecraft sound not like almost don't sound artificial. Like they sound almost like something living making them. Like this mm-hmm. wailing, especially that one that one scene when the 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 capsule that Armstrong is in is like is like spiraling. 
out of control, like mm-hmm. off its off its path. And it's just like this really like really jarring and really grating kind of sound, but it sounds like something human or 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 animal even mm-hmm. making the sound. I just think that's such a that's so unexpected to me, but it really does amplify the tension in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, because it feels like something you can't control. <laughs> it's yeah. it's not no yeah. longer something artificial that you have control over. It's something that like almost has its own uh, identity, its own behavior, and that's terrifying. There are some mm-hmm. really harrowing sequences in this, and they just don't get any easier to watch. But yeah, I just I did want to credit that. So there's a lot of people credited on the sound here. No surprise about that. Phil Barry, who is the sound effects, he's the he's the editor, the sound effects editor. I want to give him a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I did also really quickly want to read Alex's review on Letterboxd uh, because he's not here and because he has seen this film. Uh, so here it is. Uh, we can maybe say a few things on it if we want. Gosling is excellent in this film. His repressed interiority cracks just enough to expose a complicated and traumatized man who must soldier through near-constant tragedy and loss to help bring meaning to a ceaselessly punishing universe. This is a universe Chazelle captures excellently, channeling at once the gritty, tangibly methodical nature of a Christopher Nolan film and the lyrically sun-soaked aesthetic of Terrence Malick. All that being said, First Man suffers from a bloated runtime and an underdeveloped supporting cast, rich with actors you love, who make the most of the moments they have, despite said moments being few and far between. Uh, and this was a four star out of five review. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I think I would broadly. I think I would broadly agree with that. Yeah, I think I think we may um, have said some of this stuff verbatim. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, not not to, uh, not the more poetic stuff that I give full credit to Alex for. I think he made it all. That's true. Made it very Although funny. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I would agree that I got a Terrence Malick vibe from that's that's a certain level of transcendence that for to me is very hard to I match. I can't in my say mind. I thought of him personally watching this. I actually I probably thought more of Philip Kaufman who did the right stuff than anyone else. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a sort of sense of there's a sense of innocence to Malick's filmmaking, which I could definitely see that, especially the sequences where he like cross cuts between being on the moon and the, I guess kind of almost like home video footage memories. Uh, that's a good point. Actually, like, I think that that's, a that good, might be, that's a good that example. seems like a place where I could see some of that influence. Um, that's a good example. And I'd be almost a hundred percent positive that Giselle is familiar with Terrence Malick. <laughs> I think most mm. filmmakers are. <laughs> Well, let's talk about Ryan Gosling as an actor. This is a guy who I honestly didn't feel like I had an opinion about or really knew a lot about until about like 2012 or so um, after he had done quite a few It was Drive, wasn't it? Uh, Drive, well, funnily enough, the first, I think the first, I don't know if it was the first movie I saw of his, but the first one where I was like sort of taking film seriously, I guess, was a movie called The Ides of March. Mm-hmm. A film that I thought was okay with some great performances, mostly from Philip Seymour Hoffman. I have not Seymour seen Hoffman. that yet. <laughs> um, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, George Clooney, and Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Oh, Paul Giamatti too. It's crazy. Okay, stacked. I have to see it. It is a crazy stacked okay. cast. Evan Rachel Wood shows up. Yeah, it's it's stacked. All right. <laughs> but it's I think it's an okay film. My problem with it is that it's just too predictable. It feels like mm-hmm. someone made a movie saying like. Did you know politics can be a dirty thing and that politicians have dirty secrets? It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, especially now. So I saw that movie, then I saw Drive, and that was where I was like, this guy's a force to be reckoned with. Um, mm. But over time, I'm curious, what what has your experience been with Gosling as an actor? I think the first film of his where I was really I was conscious of the fact that I was watching Ryan Gosling, uh, a Ryan Gosling performance was Drive. Uh, which I think is an absolutely phenomenal film. Uh, and I think that Ryan Gosling's performance is a perfect match for that film and for the type of character that he's playing. Um, and really, I've, like, I can, I can sort of, sort of in the way that there's are certain critiques that tend to be leveled at Chris Nolan, who's one of my favorite directors, which 
I don't agree with, but I get why people keep harping on those points. I think there are certain aspects of Ryan Gosling's style or his affectation where I can understand why people pick up on that. And if you don't like that style of acting, then I can get why it, bob why it might bother you. But I personally have always been really impressed with Ryan Gosling as an actor, both as a serious actor in a movie like Drive and a movie like this, but also even more so, honestly, in comedic roles, like in a big short. So I think he can do, I think there are a lot of different movies that he can fit well into. I think he, he does have sort of a certain dry style mm -hmm. of acting that, again, in some sorts of comedies, that's a perfect fit, as well as in certain types of dramas. So I think, like most act, like, He's not one of those actors that I would describe as a chameleon and be like, oh, Ryan Gosling could play any type of role in any type of movie. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think he need, it needs to be a role and a script and a creative team like backing it up that, that knows how to fit him well into whatever the vision of the movie is. Um, but I absolutely think that he is one of our top actors working in the business today. I do think that this is one of the best performances of his that I've seen. Um, You're talking about although, First Man? Like I, specific? First Man. Well, though, uh, the, the Big Short will always be my personal favorite, just because <laughs> I adore that movie. Um, I think this is this is up with any other of his great performances that I've seen. Uh, I've never seen a movie where I thought, okay, Ryan Gosling was actively bad, uh, or like his, his presence uh, pulled the movie down or made it not work in some way. I've never had that issue with a role of his yet. Maybe one day, but yeah, I'm I'm mostly in agreement with you. I think uh, he's an actor who I think it's key when you said like finding a movie to fit him. I think is key. I do think he is an actor who I don't know if he's I don't know if he's as versatile as I would like. But then again, there are a bunch of actors I like who are not necessarily versatile. I do think mm. it is something to recognize that. That said, he is also an actor who, to me, I feel like his approach is minimalist. I don't know if like mm -hmm. that's I've seen that a lot, and like having seen that approach in movies specifically, that's an approach that is a lot more challenging than you would think. You think, oh, mm -hmm. when I think of minimalist acting, I think of usually not a lot of like outward physical shows. Someone who even like when a character when that character speaks, there's not a ton of deviation in the inflection. So these are all kind of like hallmarks of a more minimalist performance. And there are yeah. tons of great ones in cinema. I think the Coens work with people like Gabriel Byrne or Billy Bob Thornton. Mm. I think those the uh, Miller's Crossing and um, the Man Who Wasn't There specifically. I'm thinking of that. I think are just like that's like what I think of when I think of like great minimalist performances. Um, mm -hmm. because what you can do with minimalism and the reason why it's so hard <laughs> is because you still need to be compelling on screen, even as you don't have, even as you've limited the tools of your acting set a little bit, or at least you yeah. you have to find other means of expression that's clear, like that's, that's subtle in order to be in keeping with a minimalist style, but also need to be clear to an audience in terms of what you're doing as an actor you can't just stay blank <laughs> that's you can't mm -hmm. do that also the moments you choose to crack that minimalist persona a little bit are really key which is why i think it is a very challenging way like for it's just it's just a challenging thing for an actor to do and still mm -hmm. remain compelling so that but really that i think is what gosling does and does i would say fairly well in his career, I mean, certainly Drive, I think, is my favorite performance of his. That's a performance I absolutely love and mm -hmm. just, like, watch over and over again. But it is a challenge. There are some movies I can think of where maybe that style of acting is not as... Not that I need it to be expressive, because minimalist acting is not necessarily expressive. But I need a little more... I need a little more of those outward shows. I need a little more cracking of that persona mm -hmm. for, it, for it to work. I find most times mm. it does. Yeah, no, I, I very much agree. It's not, I, I think a counterpoint for me is like Ryan Reynolds. It took me a long time to <laughs> be convinced that Ryan Reynolds could be a good actor. And that that's on my biases. You know, there are other actors where I did need convincing 
that, okay, no, this person actually can do a good performance and be in a good movie. Uh, Bradley Cooper is another example of someone where I'm still not, well, okay. <laughs> in some cases, I've been convinced, okay. like Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. And it, at, in the better parts of A Star is Born. Um, <laughs> but it's not like, it, but no, there was a process of, I, I had to, it took time for me to convince, okay, Bradley Cooper can be in a movie and I can like it and like him in the movie. Um, Ryan Gosling, I never had that issue. Um, but just starting with Drive, I thought, oh, this is a great actor. I'm always happy to see him in a movie. There are certain um, sort of well-known movies of his that I have not seen, like Place Beyond the Pines. I'm blanking on the name, but the director's follow-up film to Drive Oh, uh, Only God Forgives uh, from Nicholas Winding God, That's Rafferty. what it was. Yeah. Uh, did not see that. Heard that yeah. it was not as good and that Ryan Gosling's character was not as compelling as it was in Drive. That could be true, but I haven't seen it yet. So it's I can envision plenty of circumstances where a Ryan, the type of performance that Ryan Gosling tends to give mm. would not be a good fit with the movie. But honestly, I think that's true of most actors. I think most every actor has those roles or those films in their career. Where afterwards you say, wasn't really the best fit, wasn't the best performance, wasn't the best script, wasn't quite the right role, the tone was off, whatever it is. So in that sense, for me, Ryan Gosling is neither particularly specially good or particularly bad in that sense. It's like most really good actors where most of the time he's solid, but if the, if certain things go wrong, the type of, of acting he, he gives wouldn't work as well as it works in others. So it's sort of middle of the road for me. I don't, I'm not like a Ryan Gosling fanboy. I'm not a Ryan Gosling hater. I'm sort of, most of the time, I like him in movies and I tend to like the movies that he's in that I see. It's not, not more complicated for me than that. I mean, it does strike me that a lot of the characters he's, he plays are very interior. They <laughs> stay pretty close to the chest, I guess. When I think of, I would not use the word expressive to describe a lot of Gosling's performances. Um, mm. I, you know, I think there are other actors that might be better suited to that than him. And I, I do think to me, the moments that work the best are things like, uh, drive, but, but even like first man, we didn't talk a ton about his performance yet, but I think I was, there's one moment in that film. And to be fair, it's, it's one where he is, it's a private moment for that character. It's the moment when he breaks down after, um, after his, after the funeral of his daughter, and that scene, I like that scene. I like the choice in it because you, what you could have done there, what other movies might have done, is just had him break down. But that's not how that. That's not how that scene goes. It's there is a process to how that to how that breakdown works, mm -hmm. where it starts yeah. off small. It starts off small with him. He's very focused inward, like physically inward, and he shudders a little bit. There's a single tear that that falls, and then it just gets it gets bigger from there. And mm -hmm. just to see like, just to see this like miniature arc in this one scene, I thought was very effective in terms of the acting there mm -hmm. from Gosling. Um, because we do see that, that crack, like just like, like Alex mentioned before, he like the moments where that in interiority cracks. That's, I think a moment of that, but he needed that initial setup in order to get there, which mm -hmm. is true to the character. So that's that to me is a real strength of Gosling as an actor. Yeah, and it also it, it fits with you know people who are more internal, who do tend to be more, you could say repressed, mm -hmm. uh, but you don't necessarily have to be emotionally repressed. You can just be a more withdrawn, inward-looking type of person. Uh, there are plenty of personality types who are just not prone to outward signs of emotion. But when that does happen. You know, it's not, those are not the type of people who are just going to burst out in tears in the middle of a wake yeah. um, or as the casket is being lowered into the grave. They're going to just almost by instinct push back as long as possible, but it's not going to happen in front of other people. And it starts with a crack. And then there's, then there's that bursting of the dam. Like it really, and it really is a bursting of the dam in that scene. Yeah. Uh, and that is Definitely. how a character like that would have a breakdown. So that's not just minimalist. I find that I find that extremely um, genuine. A lot of actors can't pull off that sort of, as you called it, like an emotional mini arc in one scene. A lot of there are a lot of really good actors who can't pull off quite that type of scene. Yeah. So for for me for, for me that just 
the, you know, First Man just confirmed for me that Ryan Gosling is one of our top actors today. And I, I would say to to get to something you mentioned, Ray, as your your favorite performance of his, as a, I think Jared Venet, I think is that the name of the character. I think that's the name. Yeah, um, in the Big Short, <laughs> I'm not gonna look it up. I think he is supremely well cast in that part. Oh, he's um, perfect. Because, he's perfect, and because you notice, like he's he's not someone who has like I would not say Gosling is someone who has a big voice. You know what I mean? He doesn't have no. He doesn't have like Benedict Cumberbatch's voice. <laughs> <laughs> just as like something that's like very distinct very deep like he doesn't have that voice but he's able to use that very effectively for that character this character who on the surface seems like in some ways seems like out of his depth and his voice might even betray that but has this absolute confidence about this incredibly seemingly boneheaded move right to bet against the housing mm. market and yet, yeah. that, so it's like you have that tension there between someone who does seem absolutely confident, but also seems like he could be in over his head. And I think mm. that that kind of approach and Gosling as a performer works really well for that kind of character. And there, are, yeah. I mean, I was watching scenes from that movie recently just to like see him in them, and they're still like they're still so funny. I mean, every time he has to order someone out of the bathroom, and. <laughs> It's just like because like you just he he's able to command this space without really having like I said like without really having like an authoritative voice which is not something you typically and it's not see, like he's a big it's not like he's a big guy yeah it's not like he's a big bulky guy either like Dave Bautista right you know <laughs> Dave Bautista walks into a room and tells me to get out I'm jumping out of the window <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Dave Bautista because he and Gosling actually have a really good scene in Blade Runner 2049 together. That oh, that's scene. another. That was another Ryan Gosling movie that I was I was blanking on. Continue. Yeah. No, I just I just wanted to mention that really quick. I actually was going because I feel like to me that's a movie where what Gosling is doing as an actor to me feels like okay. I don't know if I can take two hours and forty five minutes of this <laughs> kind of thing. I need someone who's a little it's, more I compelling. Would, I don't know if that's. Mm. I don't know if he carries that film. I mean, there are other good performers in it, I, but I would not list it amongst like the the film aside. I would not list that performance as one of my like top Ryan Gosling performances. Mm -hmm. So I can I can totally get someone saying that 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 performance for them like drags the film down because he is the main character. Yeah, that's a good question because I don't know if it drags the film. I mean, I I we've this has been documented before, but like I have problems with that movie. But <laughs> somewhere in the internet there's a record of our thoughts on Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's all in keeping with some of the problems I have with that movie in that I just find that maybe the interiority doesn't crack enough for me in that movie. Mm -hmm. And even like and they should a little bit even though I understand he's a robot, like or or I'm sorry, he's not a robot, he's a replicant. Um, yes, I need to make that distinction. I understand that on one level, but I need a little more. And I guess to me, it just felt like a lot to ask for someone to carry a movie, not doing a whole lot, uh, for two hours and forty five minutes. Um, and he has good mm -hmm. moments in that film. I just feel like to me, they felt few and far between. And I don't know. I mean. I just wonder I just wonder if another actor might have said more with not a lot uh than him mm. in that movie. Yeah, that's just I I mean it just to me it's it's a matter of consistency, I guess. I need mm -hmm. to to me it started to feel like okay, I've seen Gosling do this before, so it seems like he's kind of using this as a crutch kind of thing. There's just not mm -hmm. enough distinctiveness between this and something like like something like Drive for me to think it as something new and interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, that's so those, those moments are maybe moments. I feel like he does don't, maybe don't work as well. I don't know. I don't, I mean, this might be controversial, but there are some scenes in the nice guys where I feel like a more expressive actor might've made some of the comic set pieces work better. Ooh, that's ah, that's. I don't know if I agree with yeah, that. Well, I just think there are certain moments. A nice guy. The nice guys is a very close second on my list of favorite Ryan Gosling performances. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm thinking there are some moments where he has to like have this big reaction, and it just doesn't come across as well because it's like it's just it's almost too small. Like it needs to be bigger. And I understand that like he's trying to play because mm. he tries to, he mostly tries to play characters 
in that in that like in a smaller space, but mm. when it needs to be big, it needs to be big too. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking like there are moments that are like vaudevillian in the nice guys. I mean, there's one moment where he sees this guy who is dead and just like like right next to him after he's just like fallen down, <laughs> and it should. Be... Oh, I love that moment. See, I just think that moment needs to be bigger. I just think like it needs and I like. It needs to build. I I get that. It doesn't have to start big, but it needs to get bigger. I think it does build. Yeah. I like that moment. This is interesting. We disagree. I was just thinking, like, I was imagining, like, an old-time vaudeville actor would do with that. Imagining, like, uh, like what Oliver Hardy might have done with that moment, for example. I, I think that we might be having a different conversation if there does come along, like, a big major film with a big major role for him that's, like, you know, billed as... Ooh, this could be like another, you know, Oscar nominated role for Ryan Gosling or whatever. Um, that does require that sort of big acting. And if he fails spectacularly, <laughs> if, if if a movie like that comes along where we really feel like, oh, okay, he really overreached there, then I think we might be having a different conversation. But I don't feel like we've had a movie or a role yet where I would say, wow, he where I would say, oh, like not only was it not that great, it was really bad. Oh, yeah, no, I like there's never been anything like that yet for me to say, ooh, maybe we, uh, maybe I misjudged this guy. And it's happened for other actors and actresses before where I'll see a certain performance and be like, maybe I was wrong. So <laughs> Maybe I don't need more movies with this person. <laughs> well, not that I would That's say... That's not happened with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, not that I would say we don't need more movies with this person, but you're saying Ryan Gosling has not had his Jake Gyllenhaal in Okja performance yet. <laughs> is, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always have Nightcrawler. <laughs> oh, he's so great in Nightcrawler. That's why he's and he's terrible in Okja. He's ah, <laughs> uh. not yet. So no, <laughs> that has not yet happened for Ryan Gosling. I'm uh, for me. So unless you wanted to say more about about him, um, offer more insights. It sounds like we're both in general fans of him or think he's a good actor. Oh yeah. Yeah. How do you feel like how do you feel like if you see a project with his name does it how do you feel about it? Do you feel excited? Do you feel more ambivalent? Uh, he's not he's not on the level of like uh Paul Giamatti or Oscar Isaac or John Goodman. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the names that really like make my ears perk up. Mm-hmm. Um Saoirse Ronan or Margot Robbie when either of them are in a new project. That's where I'm like, "Ooh, he's not he's not quite on that level for me where just the fact that he's in a movie would make me interested in seeing it." But that that's not necessarily a negative thing. Like that applies to most actors and actresses in the world yeah. where their name does not automatically make me say, "Oh, I got to see that." Like that's that's a pretty that's a pretty select club right. of people who have that effect on me of like, "I got to see that movie." Yeah, I I think for the most part he's I wouldn't say I don't know if like I would say he's a good actor and I usually enjoy him. I don't know if I, he wouldn't be on my short list of like favorite actors necessarily, mm-hmm. um, or even like favorite working actors. There are a bunch of names I would think of before him. Mm-hmm. But I'm like I think he's given great performances. Absolutely, I think First Man is is definitely one of them. It's, it's probably up there for me. Um, might be second to Drive. I'd have to think about that, but I do really love him. The Big Short, kind of like like you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, it is more, I tend to get more excited about the creative forces, at least like in terms Mm -hmm. of the writers or directors of a film than I do with actors. But like, I have to say, even, even citing his performance in first man, I'm probably more excited to see what, what Claire Foy is going to do next, (laughs) to be honest. Cause I, I think she is a tremendously expressive actress, uh, or just actor, um, Mm-hmm. And I think the the role really shows her capabilities, and I think she's gonna hopefully get a lot more work because of it, and hopefully a nomination. I agree, it would be kind of highway robbery if she didn't. But yeah, I guess that, for me, for me, that would be more upsetting than uh, Ryan Gosling getting snubbed. Like I'm probably more excited to see what she's going to do next as a performer, mm-hmm. um, because I believe that she has real versatility. I guess that to me is like something I maybe value a little bit more than actors who do something specifically very well. Mm-hmm. But that's just yeah. a personal thing. That said, that said, like if, if Ryan Gosling does end up on the nominee list for Best Actor, I'll have no problem oh, with yeah. that. Oh, like, yeah. I would, I would agree with you. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I think we both agree. First Man is a solid film. Whether or not people think it's a great film, I think is going to come down to individual taste. 
uh, and Ryan Gosling is great in it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess we can say see it and uh, see it in a theater if you can, but don't see it in one of the first rows because otherwise those shaky cam <laughs> yeah. sequences in the cockpits of those space capsules, it's not going to go well. <laughs> It's I I would I would say I would agree to that as well. This is definitely a movie that is worth seeing on a, a big screen. Yeah, I'm very glad I did. Okay. Hmm. All right. I guess we'll we'll leave it there. Uh let's talk about where we can find everyone. For myself, you can find me at the Cinemaverick on Letterboxd. I also have a website, thecinemaverick.com, where you can read my various writings. Uh, how about for you, Noah? As always, my written film reviews are on francenoir.blogspot.com, uh, link below. My most recent post is my review of Girl, which I described at the beginning of the episode. And I'm hoping, uh, depending on how my schedule plays out this week, but I do plan on doing a written review of First Man as well. So oh, good. That'll hopefully be out, hopefully. Um, and also I wanted to uh, give a shout out to Alex, who is at Media Thinkings on yes. Twitter, as well as on Letterboxd, the same handle for those. Uh, and he also mans our Twitter feed for Cinema Joes, at Cinema Joes. Pretty easy to remember, where you can talk to him about everything that's going on in film. And yeah, so that's where you can find us. Uh, we want to thank all our listeners for sticking with us. <laughs> this was a little bit strange to do this without Alex, <laughs> but not in a not in a bad way. Just uh, just different. So we miss you, dude. For the Cinema Joes, this is Justin signing off.